On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, Certified Financial Planner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Co-Founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, how are you today? As always, I'm in Arizona, and it is April. This is the sweet spot of the center of the universe this time of year. Life is good out here. It is beautiful there. In fact, you know, before we started the show, we were talking a little bit about the grandkids that I've got and, you know, the possibilities of moving houses and stuff like that. And my uh, my daughter-in-law has said that she's interested in moving to Arizona. And so if they did and the grandbabies went there, I might be your neighbor. Uh, that'd be fantastic. Yes. <laughs> I, would, I would love to have you out here in Arizona. It is truly... To anyone listening that has not been to our beautiful state yet, there is a reason that people are moving out here, and it's economic, but it is, is for sure just the natural beauty of the landscape and the people. People out here are great as well. Well, you can't go wrong. That's actually where I met my wife. So, you know, we met in Phoenix, and I, we loved it then, and we might have to do a return. But speaking of return, you've got a return guest coming back to the show. Sammy's back. Brent, why don't you I introduce do. the audience for those that are new to the show, uh, so to Sammy- who you brought back. Yes. So this is actually, I think, our 14th episode, which we've been going at this now for a few months, and this has been so much fun. And the very first guest that we brought in was Sammy Chowdhury. And Sammy is director of Royal Capital, which is the largest online brokerage firm in Bangladesh. Outside of just on the investing side over there, he also does, he has a number of other business interests that he and his family have in that part of the world. And he is, as I said, when I first brought him in, he's my go-to guy to talk about Asia, because Bangladesh is you know, right between China and right between India. And they've got definitely their finger on the pulse of those two major emerging superpowers. And he's got, he's got a lot of insight into that part of the world. And I wanted to bring him back. Initially, I wanted to bring Sammy back because I wanted to talk about what the perception may have been or is for, for in that part of the world about everything happening with Russia and Ukraine. How, how the European powers in the United States look through that lens if you're looking at it through the, through the Asian lens. But before we get into that, I, you know, Sammy, I've been kind of shaken up seeing these images out of Shanghai and out of China with the degree of lockdown. For Unfortunately for us here in the United States and for Arizona, we've been, been even more blessed, I think. But it seems like we are, you know, eighth inning, maybe even ninth inning of this pandemic. And, ba- you know, I'm seeing video coming out of Shanghai of there's suicides. There, you have 26 million people locked in their apartments screaming at night. You've got drones out on the streets telling people to go indoors, children separated from their families. I mean, this is really terrible stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of hitting you with you this last minute. When we talked before, this wasn't going to be a topic that we were going to dive into. But this is, this, this is bothering me. What, what is your take on what's happening in China now, specifically this response to COVID? Right. Um, first of all, like, thank you, Brent. Thank you, Eric. Uh, uh, good to be with you guys again. So yeah, th- this is very interesting. Like, you know, uh, I sort of avoided the news lately because I just got tired of COVID. But I looked it up. And uh, like, you know, as you know, China has that zero COVID policy, which is very, very draconian. And it just doesn't make sense because... Uh, uh, from the st- scientific standpoint. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not saying like an advocating for COVID, but if, I don't know whether they have uh, enough natural immunity in the population. 
And this zero zero COVID policy, if you remember in 2020 when uh, COVID started, China sort of lauded like, you know, how their policy contained COVID. And like, you know, uh, they, they opened up early on. Uh, so they're sort of trying to probably preserve that image um, in the world stage. And they, they work a little bit differently, uh, it, it, it seems like. So that is, that. Uh, I mean, that's really interesting. A couple of videos, and I've never seen anything like this before with the drone and, like, you know, announcing people. And people are literally screaming for stuff, like, you know, uh, a medicine and food and, like, uh, and it, it, it's just amazing. Uh, yeah, well, drones are sailing through the air saying, suppress your, your soul's desire to be free. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like truly dystopian. Uh, like, you know, I mean, we know, remember, like, you know, in our first podcast, we talked about how much China spends in their internal security. And as you can see, it is 100% true. Like, you can't do that, like, uh, in a free society. So, right, it is remarkable. Uh, but, but another point that I would like to mention that um, it, right now the, the conflict between, like, you know, uh, well, Russia and Ukraine and China is sort of in the middle because you have, like, you know, China has issues with, issue with Taiwan. Uh, and now the whole point is like you know what do we do about it like you know what what, what is China thinking now is China hinting I don't know whether it's a you know their grand plan but are they like you know uh, sort of giving us the message that if we shut down and this is what happens and this is a tidbit of what could happen if you sanction our economy so anyway, that's just a thought, and we can elaborate. That's, on that's that an later. interesting take because what I was going to ask you is this: is is what is Chairman? What is Chairman? I always mispronounce his name, but Chairman G's plan Xi Jinping, here. Yeah, because, yeah, because yeah, that I hadn't, I hadn't even considered that. And you know that that you know we're in many times we're playing checkers; they're playing chess. And these lockdowns that they are now reinstituting really significantly because the the amount of COVID deaths in Shanghai it's it's in the hundreds in a city of twenty six million. And they're taking these massively draconian measures, which they are now spreading to other parts of the country. I was reading some things on Bloomberg this morning. That's I hadn't considered that. Is that a maybe a balloon to put out there saying, "Hey, if you want to sanction us and and try to um, you know deter us from doing things that maybe we want to be doing on the world stage, here's what your supply chains look like. Here's what the economy looks like." when we shut our factories off to you and and china we've it's been proven i mean they're willing to sacrifice as many of their people as it takes to make a point but it's it's just they've done a lot of things in the last year year and a half or so that have truly confounded me in terms of attacking their major business leaders they've they've gone after those guys directly they've 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 pulled some of their most powerful strongest companies down through the ringer i mean china's been from as a us investor anyway it's been an absolutely abysmal place to park your money I mean, the Chinese stock market specifically has just been in the gutter for a while now. And then here you're doing things that look to me like you're intentionally really hurting your own people using a policy that now has been largely disproven in, in New Zealand and Australia and other places in the world where zero COVID has been tried. You know, all these countries are now throwing their hands in the air. I was speaking with a friend of mine from Australia about a week and a half ago. And after months and, you know, a year or so of no COVID down there, they were very proud of what they thought they did in Australia as well. But COVID's running wild down there also. Uh, so it's kind of like the, the genie's out of the bottle here. I think the best thing that, that Western 
powers and or the, the world for that matter can recognize is hey this thing's endemic we got to learn to live with it because the repercussions the un, the unintended consequences of of continuing with these lockdowns these disruptions um in many cases the what, what occurs from that is worse than the actual disease itself but he's just doubling down on all this stuff and i don't i don't fully understand it because i don't always look at the world through the lens of of how he is apparently i mean what's the chatter right. that you're hearing is anyone is anyone in bangladesh because i know pretty much every night you're you're video conferencing with those guys in dhaka are, are they saying anything about what's happening in china right now Nothing that we don't know. Uh, it's not like they have access to special information that we don't. But the only thing is, uh, what I could say is, and in my opinion, uh, Xi Jinping is is different from previous, like you know, Chinese presidents. He, if you look at, like you know, as you just mentioned, like you know, the way he went the, uh, went after the companies, uh, not only the companies, the the regulatory framework, it was unprecedented. And now he is uh, rolling out or already rolled out the policy called common prosperity. So he's sort of like, you know, backtracking. So what Deng Xiaoping started back in the late 70s, he's rolling back and he's willing to sacrifice Chinese growth for it. So if you look at his mindset, you know, and then and oftentimes these things are very simple. They play out in the world stage. And we make it more complicated. Um, so, and of course, we'll talk about like you know Putin in a, in a little bit. So, and 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 that's what it shows. Like you know, uh, his willingness to sacrifice his like you know country's growth to achieve his objective. I know they don't want to let go of power. CCP still want to stay in power, and you know, and this particular thing is playing out you know his attitude it's it's clearly playing out how he is handling the covid scenario i mean i think he uh, it's their stubbornness i mean um because we know they can't contain this virus it is not possible and and, and we have seen this we dealt with it and this is the omicron variant like and we're talking about cases i mean like yeah twenty-seven thousand cases big deal we've been through that and like in Arizona, 7 million people, we had upwards of 10,000, 15,000 cases. Like, you know, uh, we did fine. So, yeah. it, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, I mean, it, it, I think it, it plays into, you know, CCP's attitude. Like, you know, I mean, uh, they're very, like, you know, proud, like, you know, people, very unique culture. So, uh, that's all I could say. I mean... Uh, well, let's pivot. Let's pivot from one strong man to another in terms of Vladimir Putin. <laughs> so, here's a question you may not have the answer to, so I don't mean to put you on the spot. But sure. is Bangladesh? Um, are you independent in terms of your own food? Meaning that uh, do you have enough? Do you guys produce all the food that you need, or are you a net importer of, of basic foodstuffs in Bangladesh? We have, like, you know, in the, in the last, like, 10 or 15 years or so, uh, Bangladesh is pretty self-sufficient. However, you know, there's always a but. I think we import a lot of uh, wheat um, from Ukraine and some okay. from the United States and Canada as well. And then we import fertilizer from Belarus and Ukraine. So from that standpoint, even if we don't, uh, the, the biggest problem is... Uh, dollar to taka ratio. So in the world stage, if dollar values go up high, it becomes too expensive. The import becomes, like you know, very very expensive, and hence Bangladesh is experiencing high inflation right now. So, uh, so you cannot decouple. Even if you don't, if even if you are 
trading value is minuscule with Ukraine or Russia, but you can't decouple that because everything is traded in, 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 in dollars. So what happens to the reserve currency uh, is, is important to uh, Bangladesh. So, you're depleting uh, your reserve currencies because you've got to go out in the world markets uh, and purchase this stuff. Absolutely. Now, now, we, we, now, we were dealing, obviously, it was earlier this week, our, our inflation number came in and it was hot. It was about 8.3, 8.4% here in the United States, which is 40-year high inflation for us. In Bangladesh, mm-hmm. what is high inflation in Bangladesh? Government would, like, you know, and then you have to go by, like, you know, uh, uh, the data that government publishes, like, you know, um, I think the right... Regulation is uh, 7.1%. That's what government is saying. So, okay. like some analysts so lower, would theoretically say it's than upwards us. of 10. Okay. They're saying it's upwards of, like, you know, 10, 12%. So, who knows? But if okay. you look at, like, you know, certain, like, you know, uh, food pricing, like, they just overnight double. So, from that standpoint, it's very volatile. But, and that's uh, and the food yeah. pricing is obviously was impacting everyone at the bottom here of the of the pyramid. Right. If and I, I, I just think the reason I'm asking that is because conversation in the last podcast we spoke with a commodities trader out of out of Chicago, and he was t- telling us that just how some of these global markets have been disrupted because of this war in, in between Ukraine and Russia around the world. And what I wonder is here in the U.S., you know, we're very fortunate. We basically are self-sufficient from a food standpoint. We we produce 25 percent of the world's grains. But you look at Russia and Ukraine, they also combine produce 25% of the world, world grains. And what is mm-hmm. on the edge here of the global economy, what is a government's primary responsibility? And it's really to keep their citizens safe and fed. And I wonder what kind of an unrest you might see around the world if all of a sudden food production or access to access to food on a really basic level does that act like a destabilizing force? And, and for me, a country like Bangladesh, where you've got you know 180 million mouths to feed, and I can't imagine that you have enough arable land to do it. I just didn't know if that was if that was giving um, you, you you and your people in, in in Bangladesh pause in terms of what that might mean for the country moving forward, or other countries throughout the world that might be in a similar position. Oh, I mean, absolutely. We have never, I don't think, in my lifetime. I've never seen EU and Europe, I mean, EU and United States sanction uh, this large of an economy and, 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 it, and, and predict what would, like, you know, uh, the possible outcome is going to be. We're still, like, you know, uh, wait and see game. So uh, from that standpoint, no, absolutely. I think it, it is a global issue. I just saw the press conference uh, between the Indian foreign minister and um, our like, you know, secretary of state and Lloyd Austin, secretary of defense. And you could see Indian like, you know, foreign minister was visibly like, you know, nervous. Uh, so, you know, I mean, it will take some time because when the supply chain disruption won't kick in probably in another few months because Countries have their reserve still, but once that kicks in, like you know, it's sort of like an S curve. It may escalate, but I don't want to be the one of the like in you know, a person doom and gloom scenario, painting a doom and gloom scenario. But that could happen, and we know that because. Uh, and I, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, like you put together an awesome presentation. It was very very simple. Um, that explained it very very clearly, like you know, Ukrainian position and Russian position and. Like, in the world stage, what do they provide? And what, like, you know, um, that was, like, you know, very, very, like, you know, simple, clear 
thing to understand that what could happen and like you know so it's just a wait and see i think in my opinion yeah. okay like, you know. so sammy bring up india and, and good point there so my understanding is is that they are still importing they've in fact they, i believe that they've done new oil deals with russia is that accurate i don't know whether they did a new oil deal um uh, what the uh, Indian foreign minister said that what we import from Russia is equivalent to what U uh, EU imports in eight hours. So what they import in okay. one month, so we're talking small amounts you know, of fuel. Here. It's a very like you know very very small. The the bigger problem for India is their defense. So they just acquired like you know S four hundred air like you know air defense systems, and then the, their entire air force is Su thirty, which is Russian made, and they have Super other awesome. like you know, military uh, assets, like you know I think sixty percent seventy percent of their military gear, like you know it's all uh, Russian made. So, so them being, it, it could become this is a national security issue for them because in many cases the parts and everything they need to keep their military running, perhaps they don't have the same access. I mean, think about, like, you know, when you put China into the game, like, you know, so India has a territorial dispute with China. Now, all of a sudden, you have EU and U.S. sanctions Russia. That means you can use dollar or euro. And now you have to service your military, like, you know, uh, assets. And you're acquiring S-400. You need, like, a, a support for that like a training uh, for that and then you have a threat from china so india is in a very tough tough uh, place because they can't just overnight but purchase like uh weapon systems from eu or united states right right and they certainly don't want to buy it from china no <laughs> speaking <laughs> definitely yeah. not so speaking of what's happening obviously with russia and ukraine i was thinking when when the the Western powers, if you want to refer to them as that, made the decision to kick Russia out of SWIFT. On my website, I did a few videos about that before they did it and then after they did it. I'm probably one of the few people that doesn't think that was a great idea because I don't... SWIFT is basically the clearing... It, it is the messaging system for tens of, I believe, millions of interbank transfers every single year. Now, China has a competing system that they are trying to get up and running which supposedly is technically actually a little bit superior but it doesn't hasn't hit that critical mass yet hasn't had that uptake yet do you think that first of all does this royal capital are you i'm guessing you guys do use the swift system if you're if you're transacting any sort of transfers yes. with yeah you do international is, transfer yes yeah is there any from the from the purely business side for you is there any plans to change that Based, oh, based on, because I think that one of the things that was brought up to me, which I thought was very interesting before we took that step of kicking Russia out of SWIFT, was that now if you are, say, any, any smaller country, and you've seen the full weight and f economic force of the EU and the United States essentially trying to cancel you from the global economic system, you begin to lose trust in that and begin to look at other ways, backdoors, if you will, to get the business done that you re that you need to do as a country. And my thinking was is that you have China kind of with open arms saying, "Hey, why don't you try our system?" <laughs> you know, to get that critical mass where you get enough users to make it viable and worthwhile. Is right. that anything that you see potentially happening 
in other with other countries in the world, say outside of Western Europe and the United States? Yeah, I mean, the, they tried that before. BRICS, remember BRICS? I think it yeah. was formed in 2007 or so. This was going to be the next biggest thing, and they like you know it was formed because they wanted to move away from U.S. dollar. Where did that right. go? I mean, that didn't go anywhere. So they have tried that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the effort is like an ongoing, but it's just like you know uh, nothing comparable to U.S. dollar. I mean, uh, uh, I mean we don't see anything comparable to U.S. dollar, and definitely Bangladesh is not going to get into this like you know uh, quagmire. Not going to get the fray. Uh, for, <laughs> no, no abs- absolutely, yeah, absolutely not. Uh, definitely not. So no, like you know, uh, my my point is like you know, the several times like you know, China tried and China is still trying with the with the I think the digital one. I mean, have have you heard of that? Uh, yes. The digital currency, right? So they are trying, but I don't think it's happening anytime anytime soon. And I'm actually like you know, uh, I'm actually happy what EU and United States did. Like you know, that would be my position. Like you know, what what they did. Yeah, I think that I, most people. I would put myself in the camp of I <laughs> wish it didn't get to this point. <laughs> you know, didn't wish that all of a sudden we were, we were dealing with with what we're dealing with here and in, uh, in in between Russia and Ukraine because the, the 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 likelihood or the possibility rather that that it could blow up into something more significant. I mean, that's the big unknown. I think what was it Donald Rumsfeld that said that. You know, we, there are things we know we know. There are things that we know we don't know. And then there's things that we don't know that we don't know. We and don't I think there's know, a right? lot of don't know that don't know in that category of what what all of a sudden happens if you have if you have NATO now pulled into what's been happening uh, over in Ukraine. And, and this this could be something that that we're that we could be living with for a while. And I think the economic repercussions of it it's going to be very telling because the, the my understanding is anyway. Look, reading some news this morning is that Russia now is looking to consolidate their forces on the eastern side of the province, get their foothold there, and at least digest that piece. I mean, Putin needs to walk away with something at this point. And that means that you're in for not something that's over in a couple weeks like we initially thought. I mean, I initially thought the Russians would move in there, that probably Ukraine would fall relatively quickly and they'd become a client state, essentially. And that's not what happened at all. Now we're looking at something that's... uh, could be far more protracted for sure what is the feeling anyway when you're talking to your teams in in dhaka is this on their radar or is this something that is you know one of the things with the united states here and in the west we're bombarded by news and there's always right. going to be the the news of the day which sucks up all the oxygen and mm-hmm. of course we had COVID for two years and now this has happened and sucking all the oxygen in the room or is this an outsized impact on us here in the West relative to what the rest of the world thinks or, or the people in other parts of the world looking and saying, okay, well, you know, guess what? We'll just add this to the list of other conflicts that have been ongoing around the world through, since the beginning of time. I mean, what, what does it take from people on the ground? This one is like, you know, obviously a little bit different because we just took Russia out of the, our financial system, the global financial system. So, and if you are doing business with Russia, I mean, I think Bangladesh, um, Russia is building, it's a, it's a company called Rostom, like, you know, they're building a nuclear power plant in, in, in Bangladesh. So they're in the middle of it. So now you have to make payments to Russia. And how do you do that without, like, you know. China's got a system uh, that you can use. 
<laughs> right. But would that violate the sanction? And, and, and this is very, very, like, you know, so it, it, we call it like a geopolitical freedom, like, you know, when, when stuff like that happens. So now you have different countries with different interests and different entanglement. And how do you untangle all of that? It's, it's very, uh, it is easy to put sanction, like, you know, EU and United States. Okay, we did it. But now you have, like, you know, Bangladesh, like, you know, has different relation to Russia. India has a different interest, like, you know, with Russia. And how do you untangle that? Very, very difficult. Because it's easy to say, remember, like, uh, when people were saying, like, you know, how come India is not condemning Russia? Bangladesh abstained in the General Assembly vote. Uh, Why? Why do you think they did condemn? that? I mean, Russia is building a $13 billion nuclear power plant. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, I mean, think about it. And, and, and Bangladesh Air Force operates, I think, eight or nine MiG-29s. So it's pretty big for Bangladesh Air Force because that's a, that was a large acquisition like you know, for the size of Bangladesh economy. So, um, like, you know, so you, as you can see, like, you know, there are different types of entanglements that it's very difficult to, for like, you know, common people to understand because when you make this issue very black or white, okay, like, you know, people are dying. You should be condemning. Why aren't you? Like, you know. Yeah. I, I, has there been any, because one of the things that I think has been a real theme for anybody that's been alive in this country, uh, even pre-World War II, is the, the supremacy of at least even before, even after World War II, for sure, the United States as the dominant economic player and the stability that came with that. And prior to Suez, anyway, or prior to World War II, you, you could argue it was the United Kingdom. You couldn't argue it was a fact. It was the United Kingdom before that. So we basically have had several hundred years now of Anglo-American dominance. A, right. and, we, and we as, one of the things that, that I've always believed is we as people living in the United States gain enormous benefits by being the issuer of the reserve currency in the form of the U.S. dollar and the issue of the reserve store of value in the form of the United States Treasury. What has concerned me about Russia-Ukraine is obviously the possibility we get pulled into something more major, but also that all of a sudden, if the world order that really since World War II that we have put in place, which is largely speaking, there's been outbreaks of violence and wars around the world, and the United States has essentially been continuing continually at war since World War II at some place on the planet. But for the most part, among developed, uh, and I know a couple of other people have said this and they took a lot of heat for it, but, the, but it's true, you know, among like developed civilized nations that were, that were deep into the global economic system, you have not seen a war between two countries like that really since World War II. Does this, does this looking through the eyes again as someone that's, that's, that's uh, speaking with people in, in really an emerging part of the world, is, has this whole process perhaps undermined our credibility on the world stage, or am I overthinking this? And is it not as big of a deal towards the United States uh, credibility and supremacy as, as I think it can be at times? So war is always like, you know, as um, I forgot to say, uh, Stephen Kotkin said, war is always a partial or full miscalculation. So, so if you think about the Iraq and then if you think about the Afghanistan war and now this, it's always partial or like in a full miscalculation. So Putin miscalculated. 
He miscalculated the resolve. He really did. Yeah. Resolve the U Ukrainian people and the military and the president. So that's where he made a big mistake. See, my point is the ability of countries, uh, say the ability of countries to choose uh, their own foreign policy and their own alliances, it is, I don't know whether uh, you know this, it is built into the UN Charter. So, so you should be able to voluntarily, like, you know, form alliance with any country you want. In 1975, there was a, like a Helsinki Act, uh, which was, the, I think, the constitutional foundation of European security. Moscow signed that act. Then 1990, Charter of Paris, Moscow signed it. Then 97, I think, NATO-Russia Founding Act, Boris Yeltsin signed it. And the, the NATO-Russia Founding Act puts no limits on NATO expansion. It doesn't mention it. So... Here you have Ukraine who wants to be part of NATO, but all of a sudden Russia, i.e. Putin, is telling you, oh no, this goes against our national security interest. Well, no, it, 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 NATO has nothing to do with your national security. NATO has everything to do with your personal security. Your regime is under threat, not Russia. If Russia was under threat, if you look at all these Eastern Bloc, Eastern European countries, why are they willing to join NATO voluntarily? I mean, we have created probably the largest voluntary sphere of influence, Western civilization, the world has ever seen. It's all voluntary. So I think NATO should be, uh, Ukraine should be able to determine their own future for sure. And another thing that I would like to say is West, I mean, we have seen in, in the past few years the cancel culture rampant, like, you know, you can't offend anybody. Largely, we followed that policy, similar policy toward China and uh, toward Russia, because we can't do this. Uh, we won't be able to do this. It will offend Putin. I mean, that worked out very well with Stalin. But he, despite that, I mean, sometimes foreign policy experts said, if we didn't disrespect Stalin, he wouldn't have conquered Eastern Europe. But he did, because we disrespected him. How does that make sense? Because their state of mind, these are autocrats, dictators. You give them, they will take it. Whatever you give them, they'll take it. Then they'll come to the negotiation table, they will ask for more. It happened with Iran. It's playing out with Russia it will play out with China. They will never you, stop. You touch on something that I've been thinking a lot about lately because I do think that what we're seeing here is is really a fundamental, finally exposed to the world is, is a fundamental, fundamentally we're seeing that different systems, different parts of the world, different leaders have very different values that they want to put forward. And I think... Um, Oh, in the early 1990s, somebody wrote a book. I might be messing up that the title was called The End of History, where it said that now that the, the Soviet Union had been defeated and communism was you know, supposedly defeated, that now the world was just going to move on to this sort of you know, neoliberal type paradise where everyone gets rich and makes money. What I think we really noticed <laughs> beginning in 9-11 is that different parts of the world don't really care about that. 
you know, your Islamic fundamentalists, for example, they don't really care about that. They don't really care about uh, the fact whether the GDP rises or they have increased trade around the rest of the world or that they have access to different services or things like that. In many cases, there's probably a pushback because so much of the Western culture might be completely abhorrent to them coming into their, into their you know, television screens every night. If you look at Russia... That people that are saying that this is a surprise, I don't think it's a surprise at all because Putin has been basically been saying for almost 20 years that the collapse that of the Soviet true. Union was was the greatest mm-hmm. geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century. And for him, is it is it wanting to make Russians? Well, he's got enough money; he's probably maybe the wealthiest guy in the world. We don't know. But is it is it really about getting the people rich and wealthy and plugged into this global system, or is it about restoring that past glory? And if you look at China, same example. I mean, they view the last, they view the 19th century as a century of humiliation, and they mm-hmm. they don't. They're obviously using their economic power and might now to, to increase their influence around the world. But for them, it's about it's about restoring what they believe is is a rightful their rightful place in the world stage. And I think that we're now seeing in, in stark contrast, in vivid relief, that other systems may not be interested in the same things that we are. And I think that I actually take that. As as a person that can they can definitely look at the at the darker side of things and want to explore that a little bit, I do actually take this as a as a huge positive because I do think that sometimes it's very good to get a wake up call. Sometimes it's very good to get clear lines drawn. Sometimes it's very good for a country like ourselves that has essentially been unassailable for a long period of time to realize. In the case of China, in the case if we if God forbid, hopefully I pray we don't, we get drugged into a larger conflict in in Europe. That it's it's sometimes it's time to get serious. <laughs> sometimes it's time to to look at um, at where you might be focusing energy on things that really don't matter. And in this country, I think we've spent a lot of time, particularly in the last twenty years, focusing on things that really don't matter. And sometimes you need a a good external a ser- an external threat or a series mm-hmm. of external mm-hmm. threats to 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 shake people up a little bit. I mean, do you feel the same way? I one hundred percent agree with you. I mean. The West is unbelievably powerful. We just don't realize that, okay? We have all the institutions. We have the human capital. We have the technology. We have separation of power, checks and balances. I can go on and on. Property rights, rule of law. So this is, this is West. We're the West. And we, what, what we do is, oh, we can't teach Western civilization in our universities. We're in decline. Right. And that's what we're thinking. That's what our mindset is. You should, you should feel sorry or guilty. Now what happened? I'm going to ask you a loaded question. As a, as a person that, that came from a country that was once colonized by the United Kingdom, I mean, what is your, we obviously hear about kids that are 20 years old that have the, the whole colonial order had broken up by the late 1960s, early 70s, where all the European powers at least had exited the stage. What was what what was what's being said in Bangladesh now about the colonial era, and what was what's your belief about it? Were were the, were the Western powers? And we're kind of going off on a separate topic here, but were they were they evil and wrong? Was the United Kingdom um, a, a terrible steward and a, and a heavy imperial foot on the Bengali people, or is is the truth a little bit more nuanced than that? I mean, if we want to hold on to the past, we can. But yeah, there were some bad things happen, like you know. But there were some, like you know, a lot of good, like you know, uh, colonial power did. Yes, they extracted enormous amount of wealth out of out of India. But back in the day, who like and who weren't? 
I mean, that was the, I think, uh, United States was the first experiment, like in, in 1776, that uh, we will be ruled by our people, not by the rulers. It, correct me if I'm wrong. I think we are the first, like, you know, uh, a democracy, a uh, republic, like, you know, actual real republic. So from that standpoint, I don't know whether a 20-year-old who grew up in the 90s or even in the, the 60s, uh, 70s and 80s, have anything to say other than they probably read the history book. It, it hasn't impacted any other way. If anything, they were born in a society which has civil institutions. I mean, they, they, they were developed by the Brits. So English common law, like, you know, that's Bangladesh, like, you know, um, law is based off of. So, yeah, I mean, you could, you could look at it both ways. Yeah. Def- definitely. But again, I would defend the principle and values of the West. And I think we have to stand up for it even more and protect it, not back down. There's one thing to use a, a like, you know, Pygmalion effect, like, you know, okay, we're going to share, we're going to show you what we are, who we are. At the same time, we have to have a strong national defense because strong national defense will facilitate diplomacy. Right. Without it, you cannot, like, you know, engage in a diplomacy. Yeah, you have no, you have no means to, to execute on, on, on any threat. But you mentioned principles and values of the West, and I do think, again, one of the real, and I'll, I'll move into kind of a positive comment here, and then we'll close this out. But a real positive thing that I think that now you do see, there's this... Um, I think a lot of people, particularly in the intellectual circles, have this fascination with China, uh, this fascination with with the authoritarian regime being able to do whatever they want. However, when you actually see what that means in real time, and you see what uh, people you know, massively committing suicides, what people like screaming out into the night, again, I've been watching a lot of videos that, that people have been shooting in terms of what's happening with these lockdowns. When you see uh, what's happening with the Uyghurs, they have concentration camps. When you see uh, really, really what an authoritarian regime looks like, all of a sudden, if you've got a conscience, that shouldn't be the direction that you want to take. If you see, on the other hand, what a very, obviously, militant you know, authoritarian regime in the form of, of Putin looks like, and Vladimir Putin's Russia, and him willing to just send people through the meat grinder here. I mean, we don't know exactly how many people they've lost you know, taking Ukraine, but it's, but it's been pretty right. massive. And the yeah. fact that there's very little that you can do if you're a Russian citizen to, to change course. My hope, I think, the, I think the real possibility is, is that all of a sudden, you know, people start taking a hard look in terms of what we have here. And, and my goal for the country, and I don't mean to get this into a political discourse, but it's for us to just get serious as a people again. For us to stop tearing each other apart over really foolish, silly, insignificant things, which I think has been a large part of the political discourse, particularly for the last five or six years, and start to focus on, again, what really matters and how you keep a, a Western democracy in place. And you can't do it. You can't keep a country like this in place unless you have a shared sense of values. You know, an American... You're as much of American as I am. We, we have come from completely different parts of the planet, but we're just as American right. because we share a value system. Absolutely. But unless you can clearly articulate what that value system is, you don't have a country. And Absolutely. You have nothing to defend. Thing that I think, there's nothing to defend. Like, well, you know, what, yeah. If you ask 20 people now what is an American or what are American values, you probably get, well, you get several different answers. And as a, a positive note to end this, I think that one of the things that we're seeing with both Russia, what's happening in China is hopefully 
opposing values, if, if you see what the opposite is, at least historically based on what, what our value system has been, it gives you kind of a clear indication of what we should be moving towards ourself and what should we, what we should be embracing ourself and what should we, we should not be apologizing for in this country in terms of our own you know, historical values that, that, that really are what made this country dominant and powerful and great. And the other thing I think that really becomes, becomes positive out of all this, provided we get through it, because a lot could go really sideways with China and Taiwan, with food shortages, with Russia and Ukraine and NATO getting involved. I mean, so, much thi- so many things can go sideways. But if we, if we have the ability to move through this, now you're seeing, I mean, I spoke to somebody, I'm trying to get him in here for a podcast. He's a broker, a uh, steel broker. So if you're Maytag and you need tons and tons of rolled steel to build your washing machines or you're you know, one of the big three automakers, you're using his company. The guy sells a boatload of steel, a, like no pun intended, a ton of steel. Right. He has never been more optimistic about the economic future and the trajectory that this country is on than he has been in his entire life. And he's in his 50s, so he's not, he's not a 20-some-year-old kid you know, with, that hasn't been around the block. I mean, he's, he's, got, he's got some time under his belt. And the reason is, he said, look at what's happened. He said, we had COVID that clearly illustrated what happens when supply chains get disrupted. And sometimes being able to produce something halfway around the world for five cents cheaper per unit doesn't matter when you can't get what you need. And the other thing is with Russia, Ukraine is it's like, well, wait a second. And, you know, we need to begin be moving more of these things home. Taiwan Semiconductor, I've mentioned it several times. It's a primary example. Right. It's the first time Taiwan Semi has built something outside of Taiwan. It's because they right. realize that this is a safe place to move business. But he's seeing an onshoring business to this country to the extent that he has never seen in his entire career. He says basic cheap stuff that always was made overseas up to very complex stuff, which, you know, we're at risk of losing some of that. He says it's all coming back. And he thinks you're going to see a, an absolute economic and manufacturing renaissance in this country. Because, the, again, these, these it, we're starkly illustrated now what it means when you don't have your supply chain closer to home, but also what it's like to deal with countries and, and different uh, regions of the world whose value systems are starkly different than our own. Like, we're, we're seeing this in real time right now. And in mm-hmm. his take, which I, which I want to grab onto that one, is that's a hugely positive thing. So with that in mind, I'll give you the last word on this, Sammy. Just want to mention like you know, uh, one quick thing. I think like you know, uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Everything you just said, uh, uh, but we as Americans, we have to understand one thing. So, see in the uh, Indo-Pacific theater. So we're forging two types of alliances, right? So one is you have a military alliance. So military alliance, we have uh, five, four, three, two formation, sort of like we have five I quad, AUKUS, and bilateral military alliance. Okay. So uh, I don't know whether we have time to go like you know through all of that but let's just let's just say that's the military alliance and then we don't have right now as of today any coherent indo-pacific economic strategy why is that first time we tried to do that was tpp was proposed why like you know what was tpp obviously trans-pacific partnership and it was proposed because southeast asia does about like you know uh, I think their trading value be- be- between China and Southeast Asia is about $503 billion, according to 2020 report. And Southeast Asia, United States, $301 billion. Now, how do you narrow the gap? The you way have you to narrow form the gap. some sort of alliances. You have, you have to, to, you have, to, have, to right. you have a platform where you can expand it. 
where you can expand. Now, if you want to narrow the gap, now you have to increase, like, you know, so trading zone where U.S. can trade with Southeast southeastern countries and they want that they want that economic alliance but here comes the problem when we try to do that now we have domestic issues that we have to worry about our labor wages labor standards there's a massive disparity so we have to be more sophisticated we have to understand the issues it's not always black or white it is something that we're trying to balance it sometimes politicians they can't explain it very well and as you're trying to balance it, because we want to increase our voluntary sphere of influence, how do we do that without compromising our labor standards or suppressing labor wages? Like, you know, these are like, you know, hard questions I don't have the answer to, but I think uh, uh, we need to discuss it openly and transparently. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. So on that note, Sammy, Always a pleasure digging into some of these issues with you, and I appreciate you, you carving some time out of your day from an undisclosed location somewhere on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely an honor. It's always a, always a blast. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity, my friend. Absolutely. And uh, until next time, my friend, we will talk again soon. All right. Fantastic. So, Sammy, you and Brent always have great content, great information. Give the audience and myself a ton to think about. And uh, I just appreciate you being back on the show. Thank you so much for doing that. And of course, Brent, thank you for facilitating this and bringing him back on the show. You know, you guys brought up a ton of information, a ton of questions. I loved the, how you ended on a positive note about the possibility of manufacturing and things coming back like a roaring Absolutely. lion in this. If, if people are interested in talking to you more about this, maybe just privately just having a conversation and, hey, let's, you know, let's talk about what I'm doing in my investments and things. Can you give them some contact info so they can reach out to you? Absolutely. Our phone number here uh, where you'd reach myself, remember my team, is 602-255-0555. Again, it's 602-255-0555. Or you can check us out online. We, we have these podcasts up, but we also, every week, we five, six-minute video clip about things that are happening in the world. Mm. And it's on MP Advisors AZ, MP Advisors AZ, altogether.com. There's a resources tab, and we've got got dozens of little five minute clips where where we talk about different things today was elon musk and twitter you know for oh example boy. we talked about what's <laughs> happening with that um but uh we'd love to continue these conversations and and i think fundamentally thank you thank you for for recognizing i wanted to end it on a positive note because i do believe i mean this is a fundamentally optimistic business mm -hmm. that i'm engaged in if you if you do not think the world is going to be better in the future than in the past and then what's the point of all this stuff and, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm very much optimistic but I do also try to take a very significant keen eye to look at what what are some of those things and some of those issues that, that that can hurt you or and what is what are some of the some of the ways I use the term go sideways a lot mm -hmm. but where things can go can go sideways and the things that's, that we need to be on the lookout for uh, so I try to keep a balance between my inherent optimism but also a recognition that sometimes the reality of the world's can the re realities existing in the world can be a little bit challenging at times but but uh, Eric, it's always awesome to have you. And again, Sammy, thank you so much. And I'm sure you'll be on again in the future because I love our conversations as well. Can I, can I, can I uh, say one thing just to sure. close it? The only way to criticize Western civilization is to employ it. Fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely. And of course, listening audience, thank you so much for joining us and tuning in to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. 
This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. And again, I'm going to encourage you to do that because the things that Brent talks about with his guests on this podcast are things that a lot of us have been thinking about or wondering about, really. And this will start great conversations among your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.